I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Oh, hello, and welcome to the Leaves of Glen Warrior's Hut, here in my warrior's village. It's a fun little bit where I pretend to live in a warrior's hut in a warrior's village and not just recording in my basement. This is where I read the hottest public domain books and short stories. Uh, for the next couple of episodes, I'll be reading from Robert Irvin Howard's Conan series. This week's story will be The Phoenix on the Sword. So enjoy here outside my warrior's hut before I pull back the flap and invite you to sit by my warm, comforting fire in the center of the hut with a giant hole in the top that I can never figure out how to get all the smoke to actually go up and out of it. It just kind of fills up with smoke. Um, I hope you're enjoying my whimsical warrior's music here for the intro as I tell you about the author, Robert Irvin Howard. He was born January 22nd, 1906, and he died June 11th, uh, 1936, which is a short amount of time. Robert Irvin Howard uh, was an American writer who wrote pulp fiction in a, a diverse range of genres. Uh, he's well known for his character Conan the Barbarian and is regarded as the father of the sword and sorcery subgenre. Howard was born and raised in Texas. Yeah, he was a bookish and intellectual kid, and he was also a fan of boxing. And he spent some of his time in his late teens bodybuilding. And from the age of nine, he dreamed of becoming a writer of adventure fiction, but did not have uh, uh, real success until he was 23. Thereafter, until his death by suicide. Oh, that's right. It's been a while. I read one of his stories earlier on, and I forgot that he actually committed suicide. The poor guy. Howard's writings were published in a wide selection of magazines, journals, and newspapers. And he became proficient in several subgenres. His greatest success occurred uh, after his death. Although a uh, Conan novel was nearly published in 1934, Howard's stories were never collected during his lifetime. Uh, the main outlet for his stories was Weird Tales... Uh, where Howard created Conan the Barbarian. With Conan and his other heroes, eh, married band of heroes, Howard helped fashion the genre now known as sword and sorcery, spanning many imitators and giving him a large influence in the fantasy field. Howard remains a highly read author, with his best work still reprinted, and is one of the best-selling fantasy writers of all time. Uh, Howard's suicide and circumstances surrounding it have led to speculations about his mental health and his mother had been ill with tuberculosis her entire life. And upon learning that she had entered into a coma from which she was not expected to wake, he walked out to his car parked outside his kitchen window and shot himself in the head while sitting in the driver's seat. And he died eight hours later. Ugh. Poor guy. Uh, I read one of, like I said, I read one of these stories uh, like a year or so ago. And, um... I kind of forgot if it was good or not, so I'm rooting for him. He basically invented a genre, more or less, and uh, popularized it. And so uh, I'm rooting for this guy, even though he had a hard life. Want to hear some fun facts? Uh, sure. After several minor successes and false starts, he struck gold again with a new series based on one of his favorite passions, boxing. 
In July 1929 saw the debut of Sailor Steve Koskin in the, in the pages of Fight Stories, uh, a tough-as-nails, two-fisted mariner with a head full of rocks and occasionally a heart of gold. Uh, Koskin began boxing his way through a variety of exotic seaports and adventure locales, uh, becoming so popular in Fight Stories that the same editors began using additional Koskin episodes in their sister magazine, Action stories. Got the worst names for all these magazines back in the 1930s. They're just dumb. Uh, the series saw a return to Howard's use of humor and unreliable first-person narration with the combination of traditional tall tale and slapstick comedy. Stories sold to fight stories provided Howard with a market just as stable as weird tales. Uh, we got, uh, we got time before, uh, instead of a grandfather clock, which I normally use to let you know or let me know that I should shut up and stop babbling, uh, this time I've got a wounded warrior who's, uh, just screaming, screaming somewhere in our little warrior's village. Uh, but until then, I gotta think of something to say. My kid broke their computer, uh, and I had to buy him a new one. So that was a lot of money. Of course, it's got to be an Apple computer because everyone in school uses an Apple computer, so it's the most expensive thing on earth. Uh, I resent it, and I wish that they'd get a job. Oh, oh, you hear that? Ah, oh, that's poor Phil. Poor Phil sucks at fighting here in our Warriors Enclave. So with that, uh, that's a good sign for me to wrap this up, and we'll open the flap and go inside my Warriors Hut and gather around the fire as I read to you this latest story. around uh, my fire in the middle of my hut uh, while I read to you the phoenix on the sword. Hey, I hope you appreciate how hard I worked to get uh, authentic warrior's action music because I expect this story, because I'm rooting uh, for Howard, I'm uh, expecting this story to be full of a lot of sword fights and kicks uh, and I don't know, maybe a playful slap. Why don't we dive in? Oh, the phoenix on the sword, chapter one. Uh, know, O prince, that between the years when the oceans drank Atlantis and the gleaming cities, and the years of the rise of the sons of Arias, oh god, it's gonna be one of these stories. Every fantasy story, uh, has to just make up a ton of names. Anything written before, like, 1980, they just make up a ton of names. They just throw them at you, and you're supposed to keep track of them. Uh, names of cities, names of people. It's infuriating. I dealt with this on Judgment on Janus, where they just made up words for things like the bed you lay in, but then they'd use normal English words for things like a tree. It's just so uh, obnoxious. Uh... Arias, there was an age undreamed of when shining kingdoms lay spread across the world like blue mantles beneath the stars. Nemedia, oh god, it's just listing them off. Nemedia, Ophir, Berthunia, Hyboria, Zamoria, with its dark-haired woman and towers of spider-haunted mystery. Zingaria, with its chivalry cough that bordered on the pastoral lands of Sham. Stygia, with its shadow-guarded tubes. Uh, Hyrcania, whose riders wore steel and silk and gold. Mm, that sounds fancy. Uh, but the proudest kingdom of the world was Aquilonia, reigning supreme in the dreaming west. Hither came Conan, the Cimmerian, black-haired, sullen-eyed, sword in hand, a thief 
<laughs> a reaver, a slayer with gigantic melancholies and gigantic mirth to tread the jeweled thrones of the earth under his sandaled feet. Uh, the Namidian Chronicles. Oh, great. So not only is it just listing off a bunch of names of made-up things that you got to remember, uh, it's also, this is a passage from a book that doesn't exist. Ooh. Hear those sticks? I hope something exciting comes up next. Over the shadowy spires and gleaming towers lay the ghostly darkness and silence that runs before dawn. Into a dim valley, one of a variable labyrinth of mysteries, winding ways, four masked figures came hurriedly from a door, which a dusky in hand uh, furtively opened. Oh, they spoke not, but went swiftly into the gloom, cloaks wrapped closely about them. Uh, as silently as the ghosts of murdered men, they disappeared in the darkness. Uh-oh. <coughs> I'm leaving that in the show. Uh, behind them, a sardonic countenance was framed in the partly open door. A, a pair of evil eyes glittered malevolently in the gloom. Go into the night, creatures of the night, a voice mocked. Oh, fools, your doom hounds your heels like a blind dog, and you know it not. Now the speaker closed the door and bolted it, then turned and went up the corridor. Candle in hand. None of this is exciting yet, but the music makes it sound like it is. He was a somber giant whose dusky skin revealed his Stygian blood. Ugh. He came into an inner chamber where a tall, lean man in worn velvet lounged like a great lazy cat <laughs> on a silken couch, sipping wine from a huge golden goblet. Well, Escalante, Escalante... Ugh, said the Stygian. Oh, it's happening. Setting down the candle, your dupes have slunk into the streets like rats huh, from their burrows. Ah, you work with strange tools. Tools, replied Ascalante. Why, they consider me that. Oh, for months now, ever since the rebel force summoned me from the southern desert, I have been living in the heart of my enemies, hiding by day in this obscure house, skulking through the dark alleys and dark corridors at night. And I have accomplished what those rebellious nobles could not. Working through them and through other agents, many of whom have uh, never, never seen my face, I have honeycombed the empire with sedition and unrest. In short, I... Working in the shadows have paved the downfall of the king who sits throned in the sun. By Mitra, I was a statesman before I was an outlaw. I, I, and these dupes who deem themselves your masters? Oh, they continue to think I serve them until our present task is completed. Who are they to match wits with Ascalante, uh, Volma, the dwarfish count of Caravan, oh god, here we go, Grommel, the giant commander of the Black Legion, Dion, the fat baron of Atilius, uh, and Ronaldo, the harebrained minstrel. Uh, I am the force which has welded together the steel in each, and by the clay in each I will crush them when the time comes. But that lies in the future. Tonight, the king dies. Uh, days ago, I saw the Imperial squadrons ride from the city, said Stygian. Oh, they rode to the frontier, which the heathen picks assail, thanks to the strong liquor which I smuggled over the borders to madden them. Dion's great wealth made that possible, and Volumina made it possible to dispose of the rest of the Imperial troops, which remained in the city. Uh, through his princely kin in the media, it was easy to persuade King Nubia to request the presence of Count Taraco of Portier and Senchal of Aquiliona, and then of course, to do him honor, he'll be accompanied by Imperial Escort as well as his own troops, Prospero, King Conan's right-hand man. <gasps> that leaves only the King's personal bodyguard in the city besides the Black Legion. Though, uh, Grommel, or through Grommel, I've corrupted a spendthrift officer of that guard and bribed him to lead his men away from the King's door at midnight. 
Then, when 16 desperate rogues of mine, we enter the palace by a secret tunnel. Uh, and after that deed is done, even if the people do not rise to welcome us, Grumble's Black Legion will be sufficient to hold the city and the crown. And, and Dion thinks the crown will be given to him? Yes, the fat fool claims it is by reason of a trace of royal blood. Conan uh, made a bad mistake in letting men live who still boast descent from an old dynasty uh, from which they tore the crown of Aquilonia. Volmina wishes to be reinstated in royal favor as he was under the old regime. Part of the reason why I'm hesitating while I'm reading is because uh, he'll stop talking and there is no end quote, and then the next paragraph starts with a quote, and I can't tell if it's him talking or uh, whatever the hell the other guy's name is. Uh, to reinstate the royal favor as he was under the old regime so that he may lift his poverty-ridden estates to their former grandeur. Grommel hates Palantides, commander of the Black Dragons, and desires the command of the whole army with all the stubbornness of Bassionian. I hate this. Alone, all of us, or Ronaldo, is no personal ambition. He sees in Conan a red-handed, rough-footed barbarian who came out of the north to plunder a civilized land and idealized the king whom Conan killed to get the crown, remembering only that he occasionally patronized the arts and forgetting the evils of his reign. And he's making people forget. Already they openly sing the lament for the king in which Ronaldo lauds the sainted villain and denounces Conan as that, as that black-hearted savage from the FPS. Now Conan laughs, but people snarl. Why, why does he hate Conan? Poets always hate those in power. To them, perfection is always just behind the last corner, or uh, uh, beyond the next. How they escape the present dreams of the past and future, Ronaldo is a flaming torch of idealism, rising, as he thinks, to overthrow a tyrant and liberate the people. As for me, well, a few months ago I had lost all ambition, but to raid the caravans for the rest of my life. Now, old dreams stir. Conan will die. Dion will mount the throne. Then he, too, will die. One by one, all who oppose me will die. By fire, hmm? steel, or those deadly wines you know so well how to brew. Ascalante, a king of Aquilonia. Eh? I'm just, I can't say it. I'm just going to make up words at this point. How do you like the sound of it? Oh, the Stygian shrugged his broad shoulders. Ah, uh, there was a time, he said with unconscious bitterness, when I too had my ambitions, beside which yours seemed tawdry and childish. Uh, to what state I've fallen. My old-time peers and rivals would stare indeed when they see the Thothamon of the ring serving as a slave to an outlander, an outlaw at that, and aiding in the petty ambitions of barons and kings! Exclamation point. Ah, oh, you laid your trust in the magic of uh, mummercy? Okay, answered Ascalante carelessly. I trust my wits and my sword. Wits and swords are straws against the wisdom of the darkness, growled the Stygian, his eyes dark and flickering with menacing lights and shadows. Uh, had I not lost the ring, our positions might be reversed. I nevertheless, answered the outlaw impatiently, you wear the stripes of my whip on your back, and were likely to continue to wear them. Oh, be not so sure, the fiendish hatred of the Stygian glittered for an instant ready in his eyes. Someday, somehow, I will find the ring again. Oh, when I do, uh, by the serpent fangs of Sat, you shall pay. Hot-tempered Aquilonian started up and struck him heavily across the mouth. Oh, all right, we're, we're getting a slap. We got our first action. A slap, a playful little slap. Thoth reeled back, blood starting from his lips. Oh, you grow over bold, dog, growled the outlaw. 
Have a care. I am still your master who knows your dark secret. Go upon the housetops and shout that Escalante is in the city plotting against the king, if you dare. I dare not, muttered the Stygian, wiping the blood from his lips. No, you do not dare, Escalante grinned bleakly. For if I die by your stealth or treachery, a hermit priest in the southern desert would know about it. He will break the seal of manuscript I left in his hands. And, having read a word, will be whispered in Stygia, and a wind will creep up from the south. Uh, 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 by, uh, by midnight? And where will you hide your head then, Thothamon? Ah, the slave shuddered, and his dusky face went ashen. Enough! Ascalante changed his tone preemptively. Oh, I have work for you, and I do not trust Dion. I bade him ride to his country estate and remain there until uh, work tonight is done. The fat fool would never conceal his nervousness before the king today. Ride after him, and if you do not overtake him on the road, proceed to his estate and remain with him until we send for him. Oh, don't uh, don't let him out of your sight. Oh, he's amazed with fear, and he might die. He might bolt. Even, uh, he might even rush to Conan in a panic and reveal the whole plot, hoping thus to save his own hide. Uh, go! Exclamation point. Uh, the slave bowed, hiding the hate in his eyes, and did as he was bid. Ascalante, uh, turned again to his wine. Uh, over the jeweled spires was rising a dawn crimson as blood. Chapter 2 When I was a fighting... Oh, it's another quote from a book that doesn't exist. When I was a fighting man, the kettle drums they beat. The people scattered gold dust before my horse's feet. But now I am a great king, and the people hound my track. With poison in my wine cup and daggers at my back. The road of kings. The room was large and ornate. With rich tapestries on the polished paneled walls, uh, deep rugs on the ivory floor, and with the lofty ceiling adorned with intricate carvings and silver scroll work, uh, behind an ivory gold inlaid writing table, uh, sat a man whose broad shoulders and sun brown skin seemed uh, eh, out of place among those luxuriant surroundings. Now he seemed more part of the sun and the winds and the high places of the outlet. Uh, his slightest movement uh, spoke of steel spring muscles, knit. To a keen brain with coordination of a born fighting man. Oh, there was nothing deliberate or measured about his actions. Either he was uh, perfectly at rest, still as a bronze statue, or else he was in motion, not with a jerky quickness of overtense nerves, but with a uh, with a with a cat-like speed. Yeah, that blurred the sight which tried to follow him. His garments were of rich fabric, but simply made. He wore no ring or, or, or ornaments, and his square-cut black mane was confined merely by a cloth of silver band about his head. Now he laid down the golden stylus with which he had been laboriously scrawling on wax papyrus. Nah. I mean, he's writing on papyrus. This is a rich man. Rested his chin on his fist and fixed his smoldering blue eyes enviously on the man who stood before him. This person was occupied in his own affairs at the moment, uh, for he was uh, taking up the laces of his gold-chased armor and abstractedly whistling. Uh, a rather unconventional performance, considering that he was in the in the presence <clears throat> in, in the presence of a king. Uh, Prospero, said the man at the table, uh, these matters of statecraft weary me. This is all the fighting I've ever done. That's uh, all part of the game, Conan, answered the dark-eyed Poitatinian. Pointinian. Ah, you're king. You must play the part. Well, I wish I might ride with you to the media, said Conan enviously. Ah, it seems ages since I had a horse between my knees. <laughs> but, but Plubius says that the affairs of the city require my presence. Uh, uh, curse him! Exclamation point. 
When I overthrow the old dynasty, he continued, uh, speaking with an easy familiarity which existed only between the Pointanian and himself, it was easy enough, uh, though it seemed bitter hard at the time. Looking back now over the wild path they followed, all these days of toil and intrigue, uh, slaughter and tribulation, oh, they seemed like a dream. I did not dream far enough, Prospero. Uh, when the king Domitius lay dead at my feet, I tore the crown from his gory head and set it on my own, and I reached the ultimate border of my dreams. Now I prepared myself to take the crown, not to hold it. In the old free days, all I wanted was a sharp sword and a straight path to my enemies. Now no paths are straight, and my sword is useless. When I overthrew Numidides, when I was liberator, and now they and now they spit at my shadow. Oh, they have put a statue of that swine in the temple of Mitra, and people go and wail before it, eh? hailing it as a holy effigy of a saintly monarch uh, who's done to death by a, a red-handed barbarian. And when I led her armies to victory as a mercenary, Aquilodia overlooked the fact that I was a foreigner, but now she can't forgive me. Uh, now in Mitra's temple, there come to burn incense to Namidia's memory men who his hangman maimed and blinded, men whose sons died in the dungeons. Uh, those wives and daughters were dragged into his Sergilio. I'm going to look that one up. I bet you that's an actual real word. Let's find out. Seragilio. Uh, Seragilio. It's a woman's apartment. That's a harem. Oh, all right, fine. The fickle fools! Rinaldo is largely responsible, answered Prospero, drawing up his sword belt, another notch. Ah, he sings songs that make men mad. Hang him in his jester's garb for the highest tower in the city. Let him make rhymes for vultures. Conan shook his lion head. Now, Prospero, he's beyond my reach. A great poet is greater than any king. Oh, his songs are mightier than my scepter. For he has near ripped the heart from my breast when he chose to sing for me. I shall die and be forgotten, but Ronaldo's songs will live forever. Uh, no, Prospero, the king continued, a somber look of doubt shadowing his eyes. There's something hidden, some undercurrent of which we are not aware. Oh, I sense it as my youth, as I sense the tiger hidden in the tall grass. Ah, there's a nameless unrest throughout the kingdom. I am like a hunter who crouches by his small fire amid the forest and hears stealthy feet padding in the darkness and almost sees the glimmer of burning eyes. Oh, 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 if I could but come to grips with something tangible that I could cleave with my sword. I tell you, uh, it's not by chance uh, that the Picts of late so fiercely assailed the frontiers so that the Bostonians have called for aid to beat them back. Oh, I should have ridden with the troops. Plutius feared a plot to trap and slay you beyond the frontier, replied Prospero, smoothing his silken surcoat over his chaining mail and admiring his tall, lithe figure in a silver mirror. Ah, that's why he urged you to remain in the city. All these doubts are born of your barbarian instincts. Let the people snarl. Uh, mercenaries are ours, uh, and the black dragons, uh, and every rogue in Poitien swears by you. Uh, your only danger is assassination. And that's impossible, with men of Imperial troops guarding you day and night. Uh, what are you working at there? A map, Conan answered with pride. The maps of the court show well the countries of the south, uh, the east, and the west. But in the north, they are vague and faulty. I am adding the northern lands myself. Here is Samaria, uh, where I was born, and Asgard. And Vanaheim, Prospero, scanned the map. Uh, by Mitra, I almost believe these countries to have been fabulous. 
well, it seems as good a place as any to take a little break uh, and just reflect on what we've read so far. Uh, once you get past all the giant long lists of abstract names of places and people and things uh, that you're supposed to remember, uh, once you get past that, you can let yourself have the suspension of disbelief. You can get into the story. Ah, Conan the Weary uh, Barbarian, who is now king, and he feels stifled by it. Uh, he, he wishes for more, not this opulence, and boy... Is there opulence? You got Prospero sitting there looking in the mirror, just just preening himself, getting ready for battle, and he's going to look the best. He even used the word fabulous, because this guy understands what looks good and what's uh, awesome. But the one thing that's missing in this story that would actually clinch it and make me believe it completely, where I'd have no problem absorbing myself into this world, is if uh, at some point you hear that Prospero opens up this sliding glass door and looks out upon his land. Uh, they don't, because they didn't have sliding glass doors back then. And you know who thinks about that all the time? Oh, Stephen Dorglas. Stephen Dorglas of Dorglass Incorporated, D-O-R-G-L-A-S-S dot com. Oh, Stephen Dorglas sits around watching Conan the Barbarian movies and, and other action-adventure movies, mainly from the 80s, because that was uh, Stephen Dorglas's prime. That's when he was the hottest. He's not hot anymore, and the guy's never getting laid. He, uh... He thinks, oh, man, if I could go back in time, because uh, he actually thinks this existed at some point in history. Oh, man, if I could go back in time with uh, all my my glass technology. Oh, I'd smelt them the finest glass, and I would make their uh, castle just this wondrous thing that other ki- uh, kingdoms would be so jealous. Oh, they wish they could have a sliding glass door or a, a glass table or maybe, like, uh, a bathtub because they didn't have showers with just, like, glass walls around it. Uh... He, uh, he, he wishes he could do that, but he can't. So he reads books like this and just gets frustrated. Why? Because they're dedicated to fabricating and professionally installing the highest quality glass products from the nation's top manufacturers. Their inventory, combined with their years of experience, makes them the premier source for installation and repair. They approach every project with the same goals. Professionalism, integrity, and when Stephen Dorglas actually met a uh, very eccentric, rich person at... Uh, the Renaissance Festival, uh, Renfest for people on the inside. Oh, he saw a man say, why don't you come back to my place? My home looks like a castle. Oh, and uh, I want to have glass put in it. And Steve Adorio said, oh my God, it's like you've been inside my mind my entire life. What do they do? Commercial storefronts, automatic entrances, windows, patio doors, mirrors, shower doors, installation repair, and they will design and build any castle-based glass thing that you need. Their clients are the Pottery Barn, Williams Sonoma, Sherman Williams, Portillo's, which is a summer place, uh, nobody cares about that, and the Salt Cave, which is a place in Minneapolis where you can do yoga and hot yoga or just stretch in a room with Himalayan salt stones everywhere that are backlit by weird little candles, uh, but you can't touch it. If you touch the walls, you're probably going to get a serious disease, or I think they just look bad. But whatever the thing is, on their website it says, do not touch the walls, whatever you do. And Applebee's. Well, with that, why don't we move roughly three feet over to this side of my warrior's hut, where we can have our cozy romance section. It's uh, not the same as the master bedroom back in my Leaves of Glen mansion, but uh, it's got ox pelts, just a pile of ox pelts laying on the floor, where we can curl up together like two little sexual chinchillas, and I read to you the latest upcoming romance literature from Penguin Random House Books. Oh, there. 
there you are. Uh, come over here and sit with me, my pet. I can see, by the way you're grasping at the air with your little hands, that you've heard the delightful music performed by our warriors here in the community, and you're trying to catch the notes uh, with your bare hands. That's adorable and simple. Now, what are you, what you wearing there? Some kind of evening pelt? You look very wealthy and affluent. This is a dream come true. I want to make sex with someone rich. Uh, you're handing me a book. Someone Else's Shoes by Jojo Moyes. That's uh, category of women's fiction and romance. All right, fine. You always ruin the sexual moment with whatever the hell book you get uh, about someone else's shoes. Oh, it's a story of mix-ups, mess-ups, and making the most of second chances. Oh, this is the new novel from New York Times best-selling author Jojo Moyes, the author of uh, Me Before You and The Giver of Stars. Well, who are you when you are forced to walk in someone else's shoes? Nisha Cantor, who that sounds very fancy, lives in the globetrotting life of a seriously wealthy until her husband announces a, a divorce and, and cuts her off. Nisha is determined to hang on to her glamorous life, but in the meantime, she must scramble to cope. Ah, she doesn't even have uh, the shoes that she was until a moment ago standing in. That's because Sam Kemp, uh, in the bleakest point of her life, was accidentally taken Nisha's gym bag. But Sam hardly has time to worry about a lost gym bag as uh, she's struggling to keep herself and her family afloat. And when she tries on Nisha's six-inch-high Christian Louboutin red crocodile shoes, oh, the resulting jolt of confidence uh, that makes her realize something must change. And that thing is herself. Full of Jojo Moy's signature humor, brilliant storytelling, and warmth, Someone Else's Shoes is a story about how uh, just one little thing can suddenly change everything. Uh, so what, are the shoes supposed to be magic? You're not even wearing shoes. You just got this pelt. Well, I'm uh, confused and annoyed, plus it's another number one New York Times bestselling author, which doesn't mean crap. They pay their way into that. So, uh... Get back over three feet to the, uh, the little campfire we have in the middle of the room. I don't want to have sex with you. And, and I will continue to read to you uh, from the story. Ah, there you are. I saw you three feet ago. Uh, yeah, sit yourself down. I'm glad to see you changed your pelt, uh, because, uh, I'd hate to see you trying to flaunt that in front of me in a desperate attempt to keep me interested. Well, let's, uh, dive back into the story. Conan, he grinned savagely, involuntarily touching the scars on his dark face. Oh, uh, you'd known otherwise. Uh, had you spent your youth on the northern frontiers of Samaria, Asgard lies to the north and Vanaheim to the northwest of Samaria. Uh, there is a continual war uh, along the borders. Uh, what matter of men are these northern folk? asked Prospero. Oh, tall and fair, blue eyed. Uh, uh, their god is Mir, uh, the frost giant, uh, and each tribe has its own king, and they are uh, wayward and fierce, and they fight all day and drink ale and, and roar their wild songs all night. Uh, then I think you're like them, laughed Prospero. Uh, you laugh greatly, drink deep, and bellow good songs, though I never saw another Sumerian who drank aught but water, or whoever laughed or or sang, save to chant dismal dirges. Ah, perhaps it's the land they live in, answered the king. A gloomier land never was, all of hills, uh, darkly wooded, under skies nearly always gray, uh, with winds moaning drearily down the valleys. 
Well, little wonder men grow moody there, quoth Prospero with a shrug of his shoulders, thinking of the smiling sun-washed plains and the blue lazy rivers of Poitain, Poitain, Aquilonia's southernmost province. Well, they have no hope here or hereafter, answered Conan. Ah, their, their gods are Krom uh, and his dark race, who rule over a sunless place of everlasting mist, uh, which is the world of the dead, Mitra. All the ways of Azir uh, were more to my liking. Well, grinned Prospero, the dark hills of Samiri are far behind you. And now I go. Uh, I'll quaff a goblet of white Namidian wine for you at Numa's court. Good, grunted the king. Uh, but kiss Numa's dancing girls for yourself only, <laughs> unless you involve the states. His gusty laughter followed Prospero out of the chamber. Chapter 3. Oh, great, they're quoting something else that doesn't exist. Under the cavern pyramids, great set coils asleep. Uh, among the shadows of the tombs, his dusky people creep. I speak the word from the hidden gulfs that never knew the sun. Uh, send me a servant for my hate, O oh, scaled and shining one. The sun was setting, etching the green and hazy blue of the forest with brief gold. The waning beams glinted on the thick golden chain, which Dion, uh, is it Dion, 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 I'm saying Dion, of Atlas twisted continually in his pudgy hand, oh, here we go, as he sat in the flaming rot of blossoms and flower trees, which was his garden. He shifted his uh, fat body on his marble seat and glanced furtively about, as if in, in quest of a lurking enemy. Now he sat within a circular grove of slender trees whose interlapping branches cast a thick shade over him. Uh, near at hand, a fountain tinkled silverly, uh, and other unseen fountains in various parts of the great garden whispered uh, everlasting symphony. Dion was alone, except for the great dusky figure which lounged on a marble bench close at hand, watching the baron with deep, somber eyes. Dion gave a little thought to Thothamon. Now he vaguely knew that he was a slave in which whom Ascalante reposed much trust, but, but like so many rich men, Dion paid scant heed to men below his own station in life. Ah, uh, yeah, you, you need not be so nervous, said Thoth. That plot cannot fail. Ascalante can make mistakes as well as another, snapped Dion, sweating at the mere thought of failure. Ah, not he, grinned Stygian savagely, else I had not been his slave, but his master. What, the, what talk is this? Peevishly returned Dion, with only half a mind on the conversation. Thothamon's eyes narrowed, and for all his iron self-control, he was near bursting with long, pent-up shame, hate, and rage, ready to take any sort of desperate chance. But what he did not reckon on was the fact that Dion saw him, not as a human being with a, with a brain or a wit, but simply, a, simply as a slave, and as such, a creature beneath notice. Uh, listen to me, said Thoth. Uh, you'll be king, but uh, little know the mind of Ascalante. You cannot trust him once Conan is slain. I can help you. If you will protect me when you come to power, I will aid you. Uh, listen, my lord, I was a great sorcerer in the south. Men spoke of Thothanan as they spoke of Raman, King Sestefan, Sestefan? Stefan, C-T-E-S-P-H-O-N, Stefan. Whatever of Stygia gave me great honor, casting down the magicians from high places to exalt me above them. Oh, they, oh, they hated me, but they feared me, for I controlled beings from outside, which they call and did not, and they did my bidding. Uh, by set, 
Mine enemy knew not the hour when he might awake at midnight to feel the talon fingers of a nameless horror at his throat! Exclamation point. I did dark and terrible magic with the serpent ring of set, which I found in a, in a nighted tomb, um, a liga uh, beneath the earth, forgotten before the first man crawled out of the, of the slimy sea. Oh, he's a... Uh, Apparently in this world, they all believe in uh, evolution. That's nice. But a thief stole the ring and my power was broken. Magicians rose to slay me and I fled, disguised as a camel driver. I was traveling in a caravan in the land of Koth when Ascalante's reavers fell upon us. Uh, all in the caravan were slain except for myself. I saved my life by revealing my identity to Ascalante and swearing to serve him. Bitter has been that bondage. <laughs> uh, to hold me fast, he wrote of me in manuscript and sealed it and gave it to the hands of the hermit who dwells on the southern borders of Cuff. And I dare not strike a dagger into him while he sleeps or betray him to his enemies for then the hermit would open the manuscript and read. Thus Ascalante instructed him and he would speak a word in Stygia. Again, Thoth shuddered at the ashen hue tingy in his dusky skin. Men knew me not in Aquilonia, he said. But should my enemies in Stygia learn my whereabouts? Uh, not with the width of half a world between us would suffice to save me from such a doom or would blast the soul of a bronze statue. This is a lot of exposition. or just big, long dialogue coming out of nowhere. Only a king with castles and hosts of swordsmen could protect me. So I have told you my secret and urge that you make a pact with me. And I can aid you with my wisdom. Uh, uh, and you can protect me. And someday, oh, oh, someday I'll find the ring. Ring? Ring? Thought had underestimated the man's utter egotism. Dion had not even been listening to the slave's words, so completely engrossed was he in his own thoughts. But the final words stirred a ripple in his self-centeredness. Uh, ring? He repeated. Uh, that makes me remember. My ring of good fortune. Oh, I had it uh, from a shimitish thief who swore he stole it from a wizard far to the south and that it would bring me luck. Oh, I paid him enough, Mitra knows. By the gods, I need all the luck I can have. Uh, what with Valmana and Ascalante dragging me into their bloody plots. Oh, I'll see you the ring. Well, Thoth sprang up. Yeah, blood mounting darkly to his face while his eyes flamed with the stunned fury of a man who suddenly realizes the full depths of a fool's swinish stupidity. Uh, Dion never heeded him. Lifting his secret lid on his marble seat, he fumbled for a moment among a heap of goo-gaws of various kinds, barbaric charms, uh, bits of bones, pieces of tardy jewelry, luck pieces, and uh, conjures which the man's superstitious nature had prompted him to collect. Ah, ah, here it is, he said triumphantly, lifting a ring of curious make. It was uh, of a metal like copper, and it was made in the form of a scaled serpent, coiled in three loops, with its tail in its mouth. On, it, on its eyes uh, were yellow gems, which glittered balefully. Thothamon cried out as if he had been struck, uh, and Dion wheeled and gaped, his face suddenly bloodless. The slave's eyes were blazing, his mouth wide and his huge, dusky hands outstretched like talons. Uh, the ring, by set the ring, he shrieked. Uh, my ring stolen from me. Steel glittered in the Stygian's hand, and with a heave of his great dusky shoulders, he drove the dagger into the baron's fat body. Dion, high, thin, squeal broke in a strangled gurgle, and his whole flabby frame, my God, just let it go, collapsed like melted butter. A fool to the end, he died in mad terror, not knowing why. 
flinging aside the crumpled corpse, uh, already forgetful of it, Thoth grasps the ring in both hands. Oh, and his, and his dark eyes blazing with fearful avidness. I am, oh, oh, my ring, he whispered in terrible exultation. My power. How long he crouched over the baleful thing, motionless as a statue, drinking the evil aura of it into his dark soul. Not even the Stygian knew when he shook himself from his reverie and drew back his mind from the night of the abyss where it had been questing, the moon was rising, casting long shadows across the smooth marble back of the garden seat, and at the foot of which sprawled the darker shadow which had been the Lord of Atelius. No more, Ascalante, no more, whispered the Stygian, and his eyes burned red as vampires in gloom. Stooping, he cupped a handful of the congealing blood from the sluggish pool in which his victim sprawled and rubbed it into Copper Serpent's eyes until the yellow sparks were covered by a, 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 a crimson mask. Uh, blind your eyes, mystic serpent, he chanted in a blood-freezing whisper. Blind your eyes uh, to the moonlight and open them on darker gulfs. What do you see, O oh serpent of Seth? Whom do you call from the gulfs of the night? Whose shadow falls on the waning light? Call him to me, O oh serpent of Seth. Stroking the scales with a peculiar circular motion of his fingers, a, a motion which always carried the fingers back to their starting place, his voice sank still lower as he whispered dark names and grisly incantations forgotten the world over, save in the grim hinterlands of dark Stygia, where monstrous shapes move in the dusk in the tombs. There was a, a movement in the air about him, such as a swirl is made in water when some creature rises to the surface. A, na a nameless freezing wind blew on him briefly as if from an open door. Thoth felt the presence in his back, uh, but he did not look about. He kept his eyes fixed on the moonlit space of uh, marble, on uh, which a tenuous shadow hovered. As he continued his whispered incantations, the shadow grew in size and clarity until it stood out distinct and horrific. Its outline was not unlike that of a gigantic baboon. Uh, but no such baboon ever walked the earth, uh, not even in Stygia. Still, Thoth did not look, but drawing from his girdle a sandal of his master, always carried in the dim hope that he might be able to put it to such use, he cast it behind him. Know it well, slave at the ring, he exclaimed. Find him who wore it and destroy him. Oh, oh, look into his eyes and blast his soul before you tear out his throat. <laughs> Kill him, I... And in a blind burst of passion, and all with him. Etched on the moonlit wall, Thoth saw the horror lower its misshapen head and take the scent like some hideous hound. Then the grisly head was thrown back, and the thing wheeled and was gone like a wind through the trees. Stygian flung up his arms in a maddened exultation, and his teeth and eyes gleamed in the moonlight. A soldier on guard without the walls yelled in startled horror as a great loping black shadow with flaming eyes cleared the wall and swept by him with a swirling rush of wind. Ah, oh, but it has gone so swiftly that the bewildered soldier uh, was left wondering whether it had been a dream or a hallucination. Well, that's the end of that. Uh, then it's on to the next story in this book, which we will do, uh, I guess, next week. So why don't we uh, open the flap? Get out of here. We're going to stand outside and uh, smoke a cigarette or something and uh, talk about what we just read. Now, well, there we go. Uh, close the flap, for God's sake. You're letting out all the campfire heat. Uh, so what happened? Uh, let's recap the story. Uh, it starts out where Conan is bored 
he's gotten everything he wanted, and now he's not happy. Uh, and then it's that's kind of it. And then it cuts to the next chapter. These chapters are like three pages long. The next chapter is uh, just a wizard who's a slave, and he's been getting real excited about trying to overthrow uh, Conan, I guess. Uh, and then they make fun of uh, Dion and his weight, so that went on forever. Which I guess the author, being obsessed with boxing and fitness, uh, he's probably just one of those jerks who's just always judging people. Oh, you could do better. So um, beyond that, uh, then the wizard slave uh, kills Dion, and then that gets laborious and how they describe his weight as he's dying. And then uh, after that, uh, he's like powerful now, and he sends a demon off. That's it. There is no battles. I wanted swords and sword. We got sorcery, but I wanted swords, damn it. We didn't get any. I specifically picked out this music for this episode, expecting big battles. We got nothing. So I'm still rooting for this guy, even though I'm terrified that the more I learn about this author, he's probably going to be, oh, I don't know, racist or homophobic or just a jerk in general. They all are, so I wouldn't be a surprise if that was the case. So, uh... I don't know. We're going to try again next week. Maybe it'll be a, a little bit more exciting with the Scarlet Citadel. That one is uh, five chapters, which probably equals 20 pages. But in either case, I'm hoping for more sword fights. So with that, thanks for coming to my Warrior's Hut. And uh, why don't you go home? And I'll see you next week. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, I, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people. Not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. You can see a backlog of everything I've ever read, including stuff like gestating the curious mind with my lady friend or uh, wife, because I'm married. Oh, I'm on Instagram. But no one uses that anymore because they all use TikTok. Am I ever going to get on TikTok? No. But if you want to look at my dead Instagram, it's at uh, HouseNuzzle. I also have Twitter, which I use the most, which is also conveniently at HouseNuzzle. Uh, and since, uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.Nuzzles at gmail.com. But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdlinger or a dork. Now, back to business. Can't believe I drank all of them already. There's gotta be one left. Thank you.